Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm rolling. We're, we're gonna get started. Welcome to the Interloop Radio. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplet.org. For any new listeners out there here on the Interloop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. Sometimes we play clips of local writers reading their work uh, at our monthly series, Other times, we invite those writers, as well as other members of the literary community, to join our discussion. On today's show, we want to talk about time and place in larger bodies of work, and specifically how they can be utilized in character development. Um, So fiction is fun because you get to choose the exact time and place to set your characters for the duration of the novel and, and in which the characters learn and grow. But I feel like this is still relevant for nonfiction, too, because uh, you can choose to emphasize specific characteristics of a place or highlight major events of the time period in which you're working um, or not any of those things. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like in my memoir, I sort of had to go back and remind myself of everything that was happening in the background of the story and try to decide which things I should sort of highlight in as part of the setting of the memoir that seemed relevant to the story. Well, yeah. And it's always slightly fictionalized regardless, right? Even when you're, even when you're writing nonfiction, because, um, our memories are imperfect, our perceptions are skewed. Uh, and so even thinking for, for myself, when I'm doing memoir work, thinking back on, you know, my experience as a seven-year-old, I try to put myself in my shoes at that time, but I still have all this whole lifetime of experience past that. So you can never really like be in that state truthfully again. So you have to play with it. (laughs) We're always lying here, us writers. (laughs) No, but I think that's definitely true. I mean, you have to take setting into account, even as you're sort of developing the character. Um, I think it was Virginia Woolf who talked about sort of swimming in a stream of influences um, and trying to like being a fish in water, trying to be able to see the water. Um, You know, I think as writers, we have to try to see what those invisible influences are. um, And that's naturally a part of our real life character development. So it makes sense that it would be a part of the, you know, writerly character development. (laughs) Yeah, we get to be, even if we can't, you know, it's, we get to be intentionally conscious <laughs> of uh, <laughs> the changes that are happening. And, you know, we lie to ourselves and say we get to be a little bit more in charge of them too. Like, you know, in the natural, <laughs> in the natural evolutionary process, you know, time and space impress on us in ways that we can't control. Um, but we can, we can budget a little when we're writing. <laughs> <laughs> can we? <laughs> 
I can just yeah, whip out no, the tornado I, if I want to, you know, or like <laughs> really bring that metaphor to the forefront, right. <laughs> knock you over the head with That's it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I don't know, time and place like often become their own character, just sort of interacting with the main characters, um, in the way that the sub characters would be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I don't think we've ever really kind of, um, gotten into what that looks like in terms of a character crossing, you know, staying with the character through many of these iterations, right? We've talked about them as time and place as immediate characters in shorter pieces, I think, but Mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a novel writer. And I think that's one of the critical things you really have to master when we're talking about fiction. It's like, how do you bring people um, in and around different scenes and keep it feeling real? Even in, even in, you know, magical realism or sci-fi or whatever genre you want to look at, you still, there has to be like some kind of grounding that's going to bring uh, your reader along with you. Yeah. And that's sort of the tricky part, I think, because you have to build a world and build a character and then you have to let that world and character change right. on the page. And, you know, how do you make it convincing and stay consistent while still allowing for the change of both each thing on its own and the relationship between the two? And I think that's especially important in, you know, works that build so heavily on setting, like. Um, I, I think my memoir, I guess, qualifies for that because I grew up in the South and I, um, in Florida and I use, you know, we talk about this all the time, but I use heat and sort of the atmosphere as like this really oppressive force. Um, and yet the character has to grow in that sort of space, um, both sort of in real life or like in the, within the character's life, but also in in terms of story arc. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just finished, I drove to, um, Vermont, to and from Vermont this past week, uh, as you know, and it was a long ride. I did it straight from DC to Vermont on the way up. Um, you know, it took like 10 hours. Um, but I was listening to an audio book, um, version of Circe, which is, super trendy and popular right now. I don't know if either of you read it. Um, but it was beautiful, really well done. Uh, and one of the things that is so cool is that it takes place almost exclusively on one island. The main character is, is literally in exile on a space that she can't leave. Hmm. And her growth over the course of the novel is just tremendous. She hmm. becomes a, she becomes who she was always supposed to be without ever hmm. really leaving one place. And I think that was kind of a, so a fun... Because like we knew... We knew who she was at heart, even when she didn't. So that I think is, is a trick you can use to like, let your reader have that information first, um, even if not explicitly. Um, but the contrast between this unchanging landscape and her dramatic change was really cool. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's an interesting way of going about it, I think, as well. Um, yeah, so this is 
super interesting. And I can't wait to hear more about how this affects fiction, which is not our forte, but it is the forte of this month's Authors Corner Spotlight, Zach Salah. So we're going to hear from him right after the break. Stay tuned. Gather. <laughs> gather, um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Welcome back to The Inner Loop Radio. We've been discussing time and place in larger bodies of work, and now we'd like to welcome our August Spotlight from our Authors Corner program. Every month, The Inner Loop spotlights a local author who has recently published with a small to medium-sized press, connecting talented local authors to the larger community. Our August Authors Corner, Authors Corner Spotlight is Zach Salah, author of Let's Get Back to the Party from Algonquin Books. And he joins us now live. Welcome, Zach. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Courtney. Thank you for uh, for having me, for inviting me on. It's great to have you. Totally. Um, so let's jump right in. Zach, you spoke to the inner loop about how important time and space is in this novel and how it's working on many levels. Uh, it stands out that the novel takes place between two major moments in queer history, the mm-hmm. legislation of gay marriage and the Pulse nightclub shooting. So do you want to talk more about why you chose this particular timeline and how you develop your characters within that timeline? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I I don't want to sound like I have all the the writing answers, but it it just seems to me in the limited amount of time I've been working on my own fiction that every time you you sit down to start a story and end a story, right, you're making a conscious decision about where you start it. Um, and where you end it. Um, the real kind of narrative through line for this novel was basically charting the wildly different experiences of, of, of two gay men in their mid thirties and what it feels like to be suspended between, I think, two like very different generations. Um, on the Mm -hmm. one hand, you know, the generation of gay men who had a a very personal lived experience of, of the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, and then on the other end, um, I think a different generation that's growing up in a time of, you know, while it's certainly not perfect everywhere, um, I think you can certainly argue increased visibility, um, you know, and, mm. and, and kind of increased support. And, and so for these two characters, I mean, what did it feel like to not belong to either of those, to either of those communities? And, and, and you know, not what is it like to come out as a gay man, but to come into a particular moment in history, mm-hmm. right? Or, or mm. a particular community facing, um, you know, a particular community at a particular time. Um, so there was always that kind of suspension to begin with, just in terms of, of Oscar and Sebastian's situation relative to their community. And so thinking of that, I, I it, it seemed to make a, a, a kind of sense that I, it's very hard for me to to, to articulate or, or to express without sounding like I'm 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 on cocaine. That <laughs> you know that that you know we they needed to be kind of in this very compressed timeline, right? And and the fact that the legislation of gay marriage at the federal level and the Pulse nightclub shooting were exactly a year apart, mm-hmm. I think. Something I didn't realize until maybe right before I started the book. And, and it's one of those moments where it just seemed that history was presenting me 
with with a kind of laboratory in which to kind of experiment with these these two fictional mm-hmm. men and, and their relationship to um to to their community. And there was also because it takes place in 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 a specific year and and I'm just naturally drawn to narratives that feel like that are 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 kind of compressed almost like pressure cookers, mm-hmm. right? There and mm-hmm. you know with the reader being aware at the start of the novel where this is heading, mm-hmm. where history is heading. Um, to me, it just added um, an incredible amount of just drama. Tension, I think, yeah. And, and a kind of tension and, and, and I suppose maybe um, um, an irony, right? I mean, the things that these characters are, are dealing with, I think, in, in the larger scope of, of events that happen in, in, in public are, are maybe not, you know, Maybe maybe lamenting about the the quote unquote death of gay culture is is not um, you know is is not that important when you're talking about actual the death of actual, actual people. people whether it's from AIDS or whether it's you know from from suicide from bullying or um, you know or or you know being murdered in a, in a space that's you know supposed to be safe. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Zach, Sorry, Courtney, go ahead. No, it's okay. Zach, yeah. you said you made a comment about history giving you this laboratory. And I that really struck a chord with me um, because I, and Rach and I have talked about this time, like I'm always looking for something within which to constrain the story that I'm trying to tell. Because if I don't, it's like you're bombarded with the what ifs or where to, or how do I, where do I even begin? Right. Especially with (laughs) a story or an experience as broad reaching and with such historical relevance as, you know, the, the subtle shifts in, in gay culture and the gay community over time. I mean, where do you start? Right. So I I love (laughs) that idea of grounding yourself in that space and also, um, you know, making it kind of, there's like a contrast between the slowness of the everyday life of the characters and then the speed at which you're hurtling toward this event that you know is going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's all our lives, I mean, are, are kind of foregrounded in, in, in history, right? Like all these right. big things are, are are happening around us. And so, you know, whether you're writing a, a, a memoir or, or you know, a, a creating a fictional life in, in, in a novel, I mean, you're even if you're not addressing that history directly, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's still there, even if it's not necessarily in your text. It's 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 in the reader's mind. If you're if you're attributing an event or a story to, you know, a particular time place, I feel like the reader is coming into that with, with, with a certain kind of assumption or, or expectation. I mean, I'm thinking about, um, um, Otessa Moshfeg's My Year of, of Rest and Relaxation, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you set a novel in the summer of 2001 and, and as a reader, I'm, I'm already going it mm-hmm. into it with, with a kind of expectation, whether you directly address it or not, it's, it's still kind of there, like, like a shadow. Totally. So I think in that regard, time is, is, is just constant in, in whatever you're writing. Yeah, and I I think that's definitely true. And you and you sort of lay it all out there in the first couple of pages. You're like, I know exactly what this time is that I have set the novel, um, and it's significant, and I'm doing it on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. But another thing that you did with time, which I thought was really interesting, is that you 
represented characters from sort of every different stage of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the main characters, I, I'm guessing, were around our age, but then you also had a much younger character and a much older character, um, mm-hmm. all, you know, part of the queer culture. Um, and it seemed like that was another interesting way that you utilize time in the novel. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I, I did want to capture the kind of a scope of, of a generation, but I, I mean, I was specifically interested in exploring, you know, the 17 year old high school student, mm-hmm. who, as he says, has, has been out since the womb and the, <laughs> the, the, the novelist in his, in his late sixties, who, you know, was kind of part of this, this jubilant, um, you know, avant-garde kind of cultural moment, um, you know, pre-AIDS and then also documented the entire AIDS years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted each of these main characters, Oscar and Sebastian, the, the men who are, who are our age in their, in their thirties, um, to kind of bounce against them and, and to react. And, and again, to kind of illustrate this kind of bracket, mm-hmm. I think that they're, that they're kind of in, in terms of these, these lives and experiences that, that they for various reasons can't have or, or never had just because of, of, of you know, how the progress of, of time works. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, yeah. And that speaks um, to so much to how time is, has such a major influence on characters. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, the, the big dilemma you know, there's there's a lot that's that's been talked about about you know attitudes toward toward gay culture and and you know kind of um, conformity versus a kind of radical queerness and and that's all there and very intentional. Um, but me as a writer, I think I am you know I am just as much, if not more, interested in in time than I am necessarily about gay culture mm-hmm. and writing about these characters and writing about gay culture in this particular moment was really a way for me to focus on what really interests me, which is just how, how people cope with the passing of Mm -hmm. time, right. Or, or how people fail to cope um, with the passing of time. I mean, you have Sebastian who can do nothing but look backward. um, And then you have, have Oscar who, who just couldn't be bothered to, to think about the past for various traumatic reasons. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and just how do we, you know, how do we, how do we adapt to change or, or, or how do we fight it? Um, yeah, t- time is just something that, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's just really fascinating to me. I'm, I'm always writing with, with some kind of conception of, of, of time, even if I maybe don't know kind of what I'm doing until, till after I've done it. And then it's like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> shit. Like I had that one in the whole Obviously, time. That oh, was <laughs> Nothing about writing is accidental. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's really the signal, though, of when you're like, oh, I'm good enough that I just do it in my sleep. I don't even realize that I'm doing it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, but I think that is a really cool tool that you found also or or really um, used well, which is you have the advantage of these characters' memories, right? So you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to have other characters representing them, but rather just like you can get much further back with one person because they have a broader age range. Right. Or you can. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we all, we all write the kind of stories or, or the kind of, yeah, the kind of stories we enjoy. Right. And, and I just, I, 
a lot of people, some people don't care for this, but I love nothing more than just being trapped in a character's head for maybe 250 or 300 pages. And to me, that is interesting. I think, I think maybe some people need like, you know, a hard and fast plot or, you know, some kind of setting. But I mean, that, that claustrophobic feeling, I think of being trapped in the underground in a character's head. I mean, yeah. Wait, what? Wait, what? Oh, just Dostoevsky always sneaks his way in. Oh, the, under, the underground yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think it works well as a memoir writer. I'm, my character, my, the person on the page is very heady, um, but yeah. it's nice in, in this novel that you get to switch yeah. between these two characters so uh, so much. You kind of yeah. get a break from each of them. Thank you for saying that. And and yeah, I think break is the perfect word. I mean, even for for me as a writer, you know, as 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 much as I enjoyed each of these characters in their own way, I think at a certain point, I uh, the idea of writing in either one of their voices for an entire you know two hundred eighty pages just didn't really <laughs> seem sustainable. And so there were moments where. I was very tired of, you know, let's say writing in Sebastian's voice because he's very gloomy or I got tired of, of and then I would switch to Oscar, right? And there's this energy to his voice um, and, and and a kind of, you know, a, a kind of like acid tongue to him. And that would be great for a while. And then I would just find him too much. And then I'd go back to Sebastian. Every time I kind of revisited these perspectives, I found new things to mm-hmm. to love and to think about them. And so mm. that kind of oscillating between these two very different voices um, and deliberately writing so that they, they even look different mm-hmm. um, on the page, I think for me as a writer kept me interested and, and I hope for the reader, um, you know, keeps them, you know, without feeling like too overwhelmed by sadness or, or anger, um, which are the real like driving emotions of, of the novel. Yeah, that's that's clear. And definitely their their major difference makes it all the more effective. Um, before we get to your reading, I, I want to talk about place for just a minute. Um, mm. In the beginning of the novel, and I have no idea if this was on purpose, but I made the connection. So I wanted to ask about it. Um, the it's, it's all it's all on purpose. It's all on purpose. That's everything's right. on purpose. <laughs> um, the main character Sebastian finds himself sort of torn between the city and the suburbs at the beginning of the novel, and I couldn't help but make the connection to your Washington Independent Review of Books articles article mm-hmm. that you wrote, um, talking about the importance of where you grew up uh, to who you are as a writer, which also happens to be the suburbs of Washington. So Mm -hmm. I just wondered how place sort of informed the characters slash helped them develop throughout the novel. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's all about decisions, right? I think, you know, as I wrote about in that piece, because of, of, of where I was born and raised, I, I ended up a specific way. I think if I had been born and raised somewhere else, I, I would end up you know, an entirely different person. So those, it, it's funny, you know, how those roots and that back, those, that background is, is kind of so important mm-hmm. to who we are, but, but for most of us, we have no control about it, right? right? Like we grow up at the behest of, of where our parents choose to live, or, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. we kind of have all these experiences that are, are very formative experiences and, and very rooted in place but we never, it's, it's only, I think when we become adults, right. And, and when we move out of the house that we, you know, kind of actively get to define place for ourselves, Right. So, you know, the, the suburbs were, were great for me and, and, 
you know, really gave me that kind of privilege and comfort to, you know, explore my, my imagination. I mean, not to present this picture of, of the suburbs as rest or, or not to say that I didn't have my own, you know, traumas, but I think you find traumas anywhere. I, I think the city can be just as traumatic as, as, um, Definitely. as the suburbs. And so, yeah, but none of that, none of that was, was my choice, which is interesting. So it's like all these roots that I find so nurturing were, were, you know, not nothing, you know, I didn't plant it. My, my parents planted it for me, I guess, to awkwardly extend the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's, that's funny because it connects to my own sort of, um, pet philosophy about, um, not pet philosophy, that doesn't sound right, but my own interest in, um, sort of transgenerational trauma and the things that are mm. the cycles and things that are passed down from generation to generation. It's sort of connected in that way that there are some things that are given to us, um, that are such a big part of who we are, but, um, you know, that we don't have a lot of choices over. And it just connects yeah. back to time. Place just connects back to time. So, um, <laughs> Zach, can we hear uh, a little excerpt from the book just to hear how all this stuff is at work? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll read for about five minutes. Um, I think, so I'm going to read from Sebastian's section. Um, I think just because we're talking about focusing so much on time. And I think unlike Oscar, he, he gives um, a lot of weight to time and, and you know, too much weight, I think to be honest, which is, is part of his problem. Um, this is from kind of the middle of the book. Um, there's not much to know except Sebastian is a high school teacher. He teaches English and art history. Um, and he has a, um, perhaps troubling obsession, um, with one of his students who's a 17 year old named Arthur, um, who kind of lives this, this kind of idealized gay youth that um, Sebastian feels like he was deprived of. Mm. It was Arthur who started it, who came into my trailer after class one Tuesday looking for his headphones, who saw me sitting at my desk watching Hiroshima Monomore on the television, taking notes for our film unit, but also lost in thought, who stopped and listened with wide eyes to Georges Delarue's Café Waltz, who asked if he could sit and watch for a while. He'd be quiet. He wouldn't say a word. Who asked the next day, delicately, before class, if we could watch another movie at the end of the school day because his boyfriend was tutoring freshmen and his father was having to pick him up later and later and the library got old after a while. Who asked if we could start by watching Hiroshima Monomore from the beginning. Every time I heard the familiar knock on my trailer door, every time I opened it to see Arthur standing there, every time I led him into the empty classroom and queued up the television while he sat at a desk in the front row, I thought about flashlight tag, the weekend games I'd play reluctantly with Oscar and the small collective of neighborhood boys along Cinnamon Rope and Rosemary Court. <laughs> I'd watch Arthur watching our latest movie and think of fleeing forms slashed by beams of light. My favorite hiding spot had been a thick pine bush two doors down from my parents' house. I'd crawl inside, knees dirty, hands pricked by dead pine needles. I'd curl up on the open patch of earth, small but just the right size for me, and listen to the sounds of the other boys running and screaming in the night. Watching movies with Arthur, I'd think inevitably of my friend Michael's mother. One time hiding in the darkness of Michael's garage, behind the back of his mother's minivan, peering out into the world through the open garage door and afraid to make a dash for my beloved pine bush, I was startled by a sudden burst of light. 
found, I thought. No, it was Michael's mother stepping out to get another glass of wine from the box chilling in the refrigerator. Okay, she said into the darkness. Which of you is it? Possums don't wear high tops. (laughs) It's me, I said. I thought, Michael's father doesn't live at home anymore, so is it still Mrs. Pound or Ms. Pound? I prepared to slink, possum-like, back out into the front yard. Excuse me. Off limits, Oscar, someone screamed from up by my house. Here, Michael's mother said, I've got a good hiding place. She led me through the kitchen into the living room. I'm just in here listening to music, she said. No one will find you. I sat on one of the high-backed armchairs while Michael's mother sat on the sofa facing the front yard so she could keep an eye on us. We hardly spoke, just listened to piano music from the stereo system in a teak wood cabinet topped with pictures of Michael and his sisters. Mozart, she said, as if I'd asked. Piano concerto number 23. Beautiful, isn't it? I smiled politely. Listen, she said, hide out here as long as you'd like. And so, the rest of that summer, I did, longing for games of flashlight tag just to have the excuse to hide here with Michael's mother with her music. There was Wagner and Bach and Schumann. There was Couperin and Liszt and Beethoven's Sonata Pathétique on repeat. There was, on one occasion when Michael's mother seemed particularly distraught and her wine glass filled to the brim, Penderecki's threnody to the victims of Hiroshima. I loved the sentimental musical education, which lasted anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour when Michael and Oscar would barge in and break the spell. Stop hiding in here, Oscar would say to me. That's cheap. (laughs) Guiltily, I'd go back outside with the others to endure several more rounds of flashlight tag until someone gave up in exhaustion or anger or both. And like seeds, we'd scatter back to our homes. What ended it all was Oscar, who asked me once, mid-game, if I went in there to have sex with Michael's mother. Oh, Kathy, Oscar mimed, pumping his hips while the other boys laughed. Oh, Kathy, oh, Kathy, oh, Kathy. I looked at Oscar with venomous eyes and screamed. It's not like that at all. But I stopped going inside Michael's house. Three months later, Michael and his mothers and sisters moved to Atlanta. Sebastian is a person after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite, I, there are so many things I love about that particular selection. Um, but I love that you in it master this thing that I always try to do. I'm like, feel like I can never get it quite right where you bring us into an entirely different time and place and scene from one in the current, current time in the novel. Right. Oh yeah. Thanks. I think that's, that's that's kind of another happy coincidence where I think the structure, right? These very discrete kind of brick-like chunks of text that are are the way Sebastian kind of yeah. tells the story and, and processes his memories. I think that made it a little bit easier to kind of slip back and forth mm-hmm. um, between the passages. And it's maybe not evident when I read, but those kind of line breaks, I think, are, are kind of visual signifiers um, and and almost thinking about his narrative sections as 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 very discrete scenes and, and kind of like, you know, even editing them in such a way that it's like editing film. Yes. Cool. Hmm. Well, this has been such an awesome discussion, uh, Zach. And you can buy Zach's book, Let's Get Back to the Party, online or in person at Potter's House Local Bookseller. Find out more about Zach and our Authors Corner program on our website, theinterlubelit.org slash Authors Corner. 
where you can find interviews, articles, and events featuring Zach and other talented local authors. And in the month of August, if you dine at or order takeout from our industry partners, Potter's House, Pie Shop, Shaw's Tavern, and Reveler's Hour, you'll see Zach and his book featured in our Eat, Drink, Read campaign. Zach, thank you so much for the wonderful discussion. Oh, thank you both so much for having me. This is this is um, a, a real treat to to kind of really sit down and, and talk and, and participate in, in the local writing community. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you. Uh, but we're not going to let you go just yet. <laughs> I think it's time we brought back our much-loved writing exercises. Loved by whom? What I want to know. Stick around and hear what we came up with for this week's prompt. Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio. We turn now to what I'm sure is only what I love, writing exercises. That's right. Courtney, I know you have something to say. <laughs> I, I said my piece. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, just before the show, Courtney, Zach, and I wrote for uh, about four minutes each on the following prompt. Write about waking up in the morning from the perspective first of yourself in your early 20s and then from how you imagine yourself in your 60s. Um, So we spent four minutes on each perspective and we're going to read the very raw, very on the fly results. Um, How did it go, guys? We were sort of commenting before the show that it wasn't that different. (laughs) No, I I, I approached it. Sorry, Zach. (laughs) I think we should note that (laughs) we are... I think we're all squarely in between those two ages. So that just to ground listeners. (laughs) That's the whole point. I know, but not everyone knows that. So I'm just like. Okay. (laughs) We're not in our early 20s. Right. And we're not in our 60s. There we go. Sorry. It's exact please. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say that I I approached this the way that I approach most writing, which is I had a panic attack for the first three minutes and 30 seconds. And then the last 30 seconds. Seconds. I just wrote. <laughs> yeah, that feels very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, who wants to go first? Oh man, show us your skivvies, as Courtney always says. That is, that's my line. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I will. Uh, it's terrible. So we'll just. You know. <laughs> This is, but also, yes, eerily, Then we can talk about why it's similar. terrible. Okay, because, because I spent, just like Zach said, the first three minutes. minutes yeah. Mere minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is me in my early 20s. He never fucking stops snoring. Honest to God, I think he needs a septum looked at. And what is it with dudes and being human heaters? His body temperature must be a baseline two degrees higher than mine. My feet hit the cool wood floor. Christ, is this what I signed up for? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's version one. Oh my God. That's Um, hilarious. Our 20s were very different. (laughs) 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 Yes. 
All right. Oh, uh, it was a very cold bed in my early 20s. <laughs> exactly. Mine too. <laughs> All right. Um, this is round two now in my early 60s, or as I imagine, perhaps one version of. <laughs> he never fucking stops snoring. <laughs> 30 years later and I should know better than to think I'd get any sleep if I stayed in the same bed honest to god having my own bedroom is the best move I ever made I stretch my legs in front of me cramped from filling in around another body all night it's bad enough having my own shout small betrayals every day but adding another to the mix will demand a whole different yoga routine this morning nice (laughs) <laughs> that was great it's not terrible at all yeah. well it's funny no. because currently i am very much single and get to sleep in my own bed every night <laughs> <laughs> so not to be undervalued <laughs> no not at all <laughs> all right i i am done i i see the mic no i like but i like how you um you acknowledged the sameness. I kind of did the same, but I'm, I'm excited to hear how Zach approached it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what did what did I what did I um tell you when we were working on this that um um make it very obvious that we're all just drafting because if people hear this and they're like, this is shit. <laughs> I'm not going to read that guy's book. book. <laughs> Actually, so I'm, I'm glad we did the reading before we yes. did this. Right. <laughs> um, all right. This is my early 20s, not mine, but someone right. in their early 20s. The time, the time. Oh shit, the time. These sheets smell like beer. Is it vomit? No, thank God it's beer. I hope the shower's free. What's this feeling in my stomach? It's Sunday. I should be excited or at least hungover, but instead I'm anxious. I think, is this what they call a case of the Sundays? There's that paper to write, but I think I'll just go to the quad instead. Or wait, should I go to the cafeteria for brunch? I can't decide which decision is the right decision. It's like that short story we talked about in American Lit Class Friday morning, that story by the peacock lady about the murderer who shoots the (laughs) grandmother and her family by the side of the road. She would have been a good woman if there'd been someone there to shoot her every minute of her life. And me, I would be living a good life if there were someone here to tell me what to do every minute of my life. Oh my God, that's so good. I feel like you captured the 20s perfectly. I have never in my life had that much energy waking up in the morning. So either. I know mine is like really, really different from both of yours. I will, I, will, I will take that criticism gladly and just add a shit ton of ellipses. <laughs> yeah. that'll, that'll slow it down a little. Um, and then this is early 30s. Stiff, but not like that. Taut lines in my lower back, behind my knees, along my wrists, in the cords around my neck. Rotate your ankles. That's what the physical trainer said. 20 seconds clockwise, 20 seconds counterclockwise. Now do it with your wrists. There, it really does work. $200 every two weeks for advice that's as simple as that. I think I'll just lay here and stretch. Pick up one knee, pick up the other. Roll gently from side to side. It's a good thing Mark is already downstairs or he'd think my rolling around with my knees clasped to my chest was an invitation. Wiggle my fingers, wiggle my toes. 
incredible how waking up at 60 feels closer to waking up at six months. All this rolling and squirming. (laughs) But at least least I know how to use the toilet. (laughs) Oh, that was brilliant. If I had heard both of those, I'd want to read your book in an instant. (laughs) but not like that (laughs) i also love how your subconscious took over and you said and this is me in my my 30s (laughs) (laughs) i know everything is just veiled autobiography right yeah Yeah. and i don't know about you guys but my body's already betraying me in my 30s it's already being such a stubborn (laughs) bitch (laughs) 100 (laughs) percent All right. You're up, Rach. Um, I'm up. Here, here we go with the 20s. I feel like mine are not that different from each other. I didn't I didn't go all in like Zach. Here we go. I feel my dog kicking my thigh through her dreams before I perform the tiresome task of lifting my eyelids and then squeezing them shut again against the glaring sun. What time is it? Where am I? How many minutes and how many steps am I away from the hot, acrid fill of cream and coffee? I give in to the nagging light and lift myself inch by inch from the bed. Yeah, that sounded old as shit, girl. I know. And that was like more autobiographical or whatever. I can't talk anymore. No, it was like. And you started by wondering what the time, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that something we all do, right? I guess when we yeah. get up, what time is it? Yeah, it seems like such it? an obvious thing, right? That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where am I? Where what time I? is it? What's exactly. happening? <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> no, but I also, there was also like, um, even in that little glimpse, there was like, you got a sense of kind of the heaviness of a life at, at, as that mm-hmm. 20 something, which is like, you know, not a unique experience. Anyway, I'm done. Yeah, I was very depressed in my early 20s, <laughs> which is why it seems Join like it's not going to be that different from my 60s. <laughs> okay, um, navigating through the fog, I fade away from whatever specter I spent the night facing and remind myself who I am, where I am. I I will my body to move for a long time before she obeys. And even then, uh, she groans and sways as if separate from me. And yet I am so tied to her, constantly preoccupied with her aches and stubbornnesses. Uh, I can't read my writing. Refusing to move the way she ought. A part of me and yet a specter herself. Luckily, we both want coffee. I love the um, the disassociation you have, like referring to your body as something separate from from you telling the story. That's really cool. That's how I imagine it's like getting old, because I feel like your body just betrays you more and more. And you're just like, what is this thing that won't cooperate? <laughs> yeah, like because I, I suspect and I, I don't want to find out any sooner than I have to that you know, you don't really feel like your are I don't know, like, do either of you feel like your mind is aging? You don't, you, I don't feel like you feel that the same way. I don't know. It's hard. To you feel like, like it's aging be- in a good way. You're like, my mind just keeps getting yeah. better and better. <laughs> I'm learning <laughs> yeah. more. Although <laughs> I will say something my, my mom who is in her early or no mid sixties, but something she says all the time is I don't feel how old I am. 
Yeah. 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 I always say like, we kind of formed the, like who we are, at least I did in like my upper twenties, like late twenties ish. And I just feel like your mind stays at that age, no matter how old your body gets, because that's when you sort of decide who you are and feel more confident in Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. selfhood. That's actually when your brain stops growing and things start deteriorating. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Our resident scientist weighs in. (laughs) I do what I can. Oh, that was awesome. Thank you for participating, Zach. That was Yeah, thank you. That was fun. (laughs) And that's our show. Uh, We'll be back every other Monday. That's right. And The Inner Loop is not just a podcast, believe it or not. We have lots of programming for writers in the D.C. area. So much. We do readings, retreats, workshops, a summer residency, and more. To read about it, please visit our uh, website, that thing, uh, theinnerlooplit.org, <laughs> where you can also donate to support us and local literature and local authors like Zach. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical advisor is Gene Skinner. Thanks again to Zach Salah for joining us on the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, shout it from the rooftops. Or better yet, as I'm always encouraging, (laughs) leave us a review. Five stars for the Interloop Radio. Radio for writers who read writers who write and read writing on the radio. Was that it? I can't I'm believe I actually did that oh, without messing up. <laughs> um, so cool. Do that. And don't forget to subscribe. <laughs> subscribe. Subscribe so you never miss an episode. Happy writing. Right on. <laughs>